This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. My mama told me when I was young, we're all on superstars. She pulled my hair with my lipstick on, in a glass of purple dry. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me here again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. I want to also thank very kindly my sponsors. I'm sponsored here by Halt and Honda. Thank you for believing in the content, loving my guests, and everything that we're doing here on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. I also want to thank my friends and family over at the C-Suite Radio Network, where you can find all podcasts following live shows on my host page. So once again, I am joined by yet another phenomenal guest. My guest today is a gentleman by the name of Ivan Hunt. So who is Ivan? Well, what I can tell you is that Ivan is a certified professional relationship coach and an energy leadership index master practitioner from the Institute of Professional Excellence in Coaching, IPEC. He coaches primarily men around living up to social expectations and the implications. He does this by using a proven process that first identifies the expectations Secondly, finding out if the expectations are applicable. And lastly, how to create a new reality. Ivan is a volunteer for an at-risk male youth program called the 5,000 Role Models of Excellence for the Miami-Dade County School System as a mentor and motivational speaker for close to 10 years. As a disabled veteran of the U.S. Army, he has volunteered with the Veterans Treatment Court for the 11th Judicial Circuit Court in Miami, Florida, as a mentor for veterans facing federal prison sentences. He has over a decade of experience in healthcare, financial management, analytics, and accounting. He has certifications in executive management and has a Six Sigma Green Belt from the Management and Strategy Institute. He holds a BBA in accounting from St. Thomas University. He is married to his best friend, lover, and confidant. They are a blended family with a beautiful daughter and three exceptional young men. Ivan has overcome addiction, abuse, and mood disorders such as borderline personality disorder. His relationship motto is friends forgive, lovers don't. And his personal motto is a life with no options is no life at all. Ivan, I want to thank you so very much for taking time out of your schedule to join us here on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. How are you, my friend? I'm very well. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. So I just want to say, you know, obviously this is a very uh, inspiring story. Uh, You're very much obviously committed to the work, doing the work, because we know it all goes back to self. Before we can lead other people, before we can counsel or mentor other people, we have to ensure that we're always checking ourselves at the door and doing what's required in order to truly walk the talk. So why don't we talk a little bit about the inception of your journey? You know, how did you know based on your previous experiences, maybe either because of mentors in your own life or lack thereof that precipitated you feeling that you needed to do something bigger and more important and profound with your life? Um, it's, it's, fortunately, we have time because it's a little bit of a long story, right? Um, yeah. I, my, my background, obviously, is in healthcare finance. Um, I was, I've been in healthcare for a little bit of, almost a little bit over a decade, and I had a constant recurring pattern in my life of substance abuse, um, self-sabotaging success or any type of growth that I've had. And mm-hmm. it got to a point to where, it, you know, it just, I could never quite figure it out. So being of an analytical mind, I knew there was a piece of the puzzle missing and it was just extremely, extremely frustrating not being able to ever figure it out. So a lot of old demons uh, started resurfacing resurfacing themselves in my current marriage. Mm-hmm. And my wife, you know, with, with good reason, you know, got fed up and said, gave me an ultimatum. You go get help or we need to revisit our marriage. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I'd already gone through a divorce once. I didn't want to put my family through it again. Uh, I went and got help. Uh, 
I met with this lady named Dr. Delvina Thomas of DRT Behavioral, and we began the process of trying to really figure out what was going on with me. And after about a year, uh, kind of led me to, you know, ADHD, bipolar, borderline personality disorder. And once I kind of grasped the concept of borderline personality disorder, my mind all of a sudden stopped and I was able to start seeing things clearly. Mm-hmm. And that was probably a little bit over two years ago. And the, the more my mind slowed down, the more I started really realizing where I was at in my life. <clears throat> and I started reassessing my own values and realized that, that the job that I had, although I was successful, just no longer aligned with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, through a conversation with, with Dr. Thomas, uh, she mentioned life coaching. And at the time, I never heard of life coaching. So I, but it instantly resonated with me. You know, I have a, you know, I grew up in sports, playing sports, you know, military. So, you know, mentoring and coaching was something that's always been a part of my life and and it really resonated with me. So I researched it, knew instantly that that's what I was supposed to do for the rest of my life. And I jumped that simple. Beautiful. Well, you said a few key things there that I want to kind of circle back and, and really impress upon the listening audience, because, of course, people who gravitate towards listening to this particular show, uh, knowing it's all about leadership and mindset and personal development and really truly embodying what it means to live fearlessly, you know, they're oftentimes sitting on the fence or they're, they're sponging up everything that my guests are saying, because you know, the guests are very raw and candid and and talking quite openly about, you know what, it's not about the success that you see that I'm sitting in now, perhaps, but there's a journey. It's we talk often about turning shit into gold. uh, And people talking quite openly about, you know, disorders, people talking about suicide, people talking about their darkest moments, but realizing that within those, those dark moments, that that's where the lessons are. That's where the gifts are. That's where you can really shift your life and take it to a totally different level based on choice because it is actually a choice. So in terms of borderline disorder personality, maybe you can discuss a little bit more in detail about what that is because we understand the spectrum for disorders. Uh, you know, it incorporates a lot of criteria and we want to make sure that we know exactly what we're referencing and, and talking about here. So can you give us a, a quick synopsis of what that is? Um. I'm not a psychiatrist for starters. So, yeah. you know, there's borderline personality is it's really there's two pole, there, there's two kind of causes for it. One is there's some genetics, but then there's also a traumatic event. And it's a it's a hypersensitive reactions um, to normal situations. Uh, people with borderline personality disorder have a tendency to over dramatize or. One, one analogy I use is kill an ant with a sledgehammer. You know, we overdo it. Um, there's no e- emotional regulator uh, within us, or, or we really struggle with um, acceptance. Uh, we have an extreme fear of rejection and abandonment. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, our mind never shuts down. We're very paranoid, um, always in constant conflict. Uh, you know, it's, it's everything with us is love or hate. You know, there's no moderation. And, and that's probably the best way to sum it up. It's just there's very little. The word moderation still doesn't really exist in my vocabulary. You, mm-hmm. you know, either I'm all in or I'm all out. And so sometimes, it, you know, it just led me to a lot of dark places. You know, I did a lot of self-medicating, alcohol, drugs, women, um, just trying to find some semblance of peace. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, when and, and she even it's even taboo within the psychiatric community to even openly diagnose somebody with borderline personality disorder. They usually try to slide it in uh, because it's so taboo. Uh, it's one of the most violent um, mood disorders out there. The suicide rate is much higher with, you know, with borderline personality disorder than it is with other mood disorders. Um, and the violence typically is in domestic cases. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it just really, when I went through the criteria, I think it was like maybe nine, I think there's, give or, yeah, right around nine. And I think I hit all eight of them. I hit eight and, and was half of the ninth. <laughs> so it was like, wow, okay, you know, this yeah. makes sense now. And mm-hmm. that was kind of that, that, that piece of the puzzle, you know. Well, I appreciate you sharing that with us. And I also want to impress upon the listeners, too, you know, you having sought out, 
counseling for yourself, you having sought out some medical attention to really kind of get to the nuts and bolts of what this is, because we can't change what we don't understand. And we, we don't, we certainly don't seek out help if we're not willing to take accountability or personal responsibility, because we know that we're the common denominator in all our relationships, personal, business, otherwise. And so if things are going to shift and things are going to change in a direction that we obviously are are hoping to be uh, positive, to be healthy, to be constructive, to be intuitive, then we have to acknowledge oftentimes some really dark things about ourselves, which is not a pretty thing to look at in the mirror. But unless you're prepared to look at the mirror and take that responsibility, nothing else therefore will change in your life. And then this is why people, we talk about inter, inter, um, intergenerational abuses. We talk about, you know, cycles. We talk about patterns because somewhere along the line, it's not been recognized as a pattern or a trend or something that is even occurring in someone's life. A lot of people are obliviously walking around, not even understanding the, uh, the, or having the ability to connect the dots and go, okay, well, you know, this is happening a lot in my life, but people oftentimes don't put the mirror back on themselves and go, okay, well, maybe I'm a contributing factor to this. I'm certainly a participant. What do I need to change? So, you know, and it's important for the listeners. The listeners need to understand that it's not a sign of weakness to ask for help. It's very, very imperative that you do that. And we often talk about on radio as well, the people who are the most vulnerable, who are willing to be the most vulnerable and put themselves out there and speak about the uncomfortable things. You know, that's what's going to shift. That's And it's beautiful. You know, because it, it makes you relational. It makes you relatable. Uh, people can seek you out because they know that you have integrity, that you're willing to say, you know what, I'm no better than anyone else. And I recognize that I have things that have perhaps stigmatized me or held me back or they've, you know, sa- sabotaged certain aspects of my life. But I don't have to be defined by this anymore. And I can change any given moment, any given day. And you've done that. So kudos to you, Ivan. Thank you. And, 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 and you said it right. You know, there's a certain amount of personal accountability <clears throat> and, and vulnerability and transparency. Yes. So one, one, one of the big things, especially when I was in corporate um, and, and I would train my, you know, hire my staff, train my staff. There was a certain type of person that I was looking for that I would hire and, and they were leaders. Mm-hmm. And one of the things <clears throat> and, and I've kind of implemented in, into my own coaching practice, actually, is that. In order, you know, I want to maximize their potential. And mm-hmm. part of doing that is I have to be vulnerable enough to allow them to see my mistakes, mm-hmm. not just to hear my mistakes, but actually see me go through the mistakes I've made and, and, and you know, hold myself accountable to it, find a way to reconcile that mistake and then move forward. Um, and and, and it, you're right. It makes it it makes that leader very tangible. Um, yeah. The transparency piece is, you know, even going back as I reflect and say, okay, what could I have done differently? How could I improve the process or the situation? You know, I would invite them into it. Mm -hmm. Um, I I, I didn't have a lot of leaders that would do that, you know, or mentors that would actually open themselves up. Let me see their mistakes. Let me see how they process their mistakes. Let me see how they came up with a strategy to move forward and and then reconcile it all and, and proceed to move in this new life. I think, you know, I can recall the weekend um, that I actually kind of learned how to love myself. And it was actually Valentine's Day weekend. I had already gone through a divorce. I was, I jumped into a rebound relationship, which was very tumultuous at best. Um, my, my first marriage was very abusive. Um, and, and, you know, but I kept hearing the same things. And, and eventually, you know, if there's smoke, there's fire. So they all couldn't have been crazy. You, you know, somewhere mm-hmm. point, you know, somewhere along the line, I had to take responsibility for my own crazy, craziness and my own insanity. Mm-hmm. And even though I took a year off, I didn't date, I didn't do anything, um, and, and got back into my 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 the relate the next relationship, which happened to be my current wife. A lot of those same patterns started to repeat themselves, and. You know, you, you, I'd hurt my kids enough um, mm-hmm. that I didn't want to hurt them again. I was scared enough to make a change. Mm-hmm. And I just knew that there had to be more to life than what I was living. And so, you know, you, you go for it. It's scary. It's, it's, 
sometimes it's a very lonely place to be. It's very yeah. dark. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I even had this conversation with my mom last night for th- you know over Thanksgiving dinner. You, you know, you, you, you the most courageous thing I've ever done was to keep going when I wanted to die. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I would even kind of tell her some of my suicidal ideations that I had during those times. And and it was you know death through consumption. You know, I just consumed as many drugs as I could as quickly as I could. You know, because I I didn't own a firearm or anything like that because I've always had a bad attitude or a short temper. So, you know, it it was just a belief that there had to be more, that this can't be life. Right. And so so what would be the backstory to the degree that you feel uh, comfortable sharing? And clearly you are somebody who feels comfortable sharing and putting yourself out there. Uh, you know, what is the backstory? What What do you think was all going on for you uh, at whatever age this started uh, occurring for you in terms of feeling suicidal and in terms of, um, you know, you, you identified that you didn't really have any leaders in your life. You didn't really have any mentors, anybody to look up to or, or you know, anybody who you would deem to be a significant, profound role model where you could have maybe transitioned a lot sooner and a lot faster to get on the right path. So, you know, was this... Did you have, from your earliest recollection, did you have a negative self-concept of yourself? Was there something about you that you just couldn't reconcile within yourself at that young age? Absolutely. Um, I, I grew up in a small town called Hickory, North Carolina, at the foothills of the mountains. Um, mm-hmm. My dad is my dad is black. My mom is white. They got married in 1973. Um, I think it became legal in 67, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for interracial marriages. So I grew up in a town that was probably 90% white. <laughs> um, we literally had a railroad track in our town, which this was the black side of town. This is the white side of town. <clears throat> and then there was me, you know, mixed. Uh, I, I never really fit in into one group. I just always tell people, you know, I was too black to be white and I was too white to be black. Mm-hmm. Um, there was probably, I probably could count on both hands. The, the number of mixed kids in my area. And so, I, you know, I, I just I never really had a sense of self or a sense of belonging growing mm-hmm. up. Um, you know, there's been a hashtag going around here lately called Me Too. And We're, I was going to jump into that, actually. Yeah. And, and, and you know, and, and so I can use the hashtag Me Too. You know, it's happened to me, too, at a mm-hmm. young age. Um and, and, you know, just going through school, it, it was just this constant. There was just, I really didn't know who I was. I didn't know where I fit in. There was no clique. There was no group. I found myself doing a lot of things, trying to find acceptance, trying to fit in. You know, I excelled at sports, I think in large part because that, you know, sports was kind of a safe haven for me. You, you know, yeah. the only thing that mattered was was if you win or lose. And, right. And, and so I just became driven to win as, as much as I could. And, um, you, you know, even when I got out, got out of high school, even during high school, you, you know, I had a tendency to date more white girls than I did black girls at the time. I can never, you know, I can never go on a date. Um, we always had to sneak and hide. Um, people at school would, you know, call her names, you know, so forth. Um, I mean, I had one. I had one girl for her parents sent her to a mental institution. You know, so when when you grow up around things like that, and you you start asking yourself, "Well, man, what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. You know, what did I do? I didn't do anything. You know, I didn't ask to be born. <laughs> right. I don't, you know, I don't regret it. Don't get me wrong. My parents are still married. You know, they've been married for forty four years. Mm-hmm. Um. So, so just the fact that they're still married is an achievement, but. The fact that they're an interracial couple in, in the South of the U.S., you know, is even more remarkable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it just it was just always trying to find my place in life. And, and 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 I think I just did a lot of things to try to overcompensate, you know, in all the shortcomings I felt I had. Right. And, and really, you know, I hated my name. I wouldn't even really pronounce my name right. Um, I wouldn't correct people if they misspelled, you know, mispronounce my name. Um, just all kind of, you know, all kind of self-defeating thoughts 
and actions that I constantly took. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, fighting, you know, fortunately, I never really had to do a lot of time in jail, but, you know, I'd get arrested for fighting, you know, liquor courage, you could call it. Um, mm-hmm. In the Army, I was always in trouble. Um, even when I got out the Army, you know, I was just always in trouble, just always trying to figure out that missing piece. And, mm-hmm. you know, eventually I just got to that place to where I was secure with who I am. And, you know, when people ask me my name, you, you know, I'm not scared. You know, I can pronounce it now. <laughs> um, Beautiful. Yeah. And, and, and the thing I tell people is, you know, I, I used to live in a, in a grayish world, but mm-hmm. now but now I live in color. Love it. Yeah. And I can see everything around me. So the, the, the backdrop was probably just a lack of sense of self. Mm hmm. And well, I appreciate you sharing that with us, Ivan, because I'm sure there's a lot of people listening who can relate, you know. Um, and when we take a look at our, our culture today and we, we going back to the Me Too and that was going to segue into that, but you beat me to it. So I'm glad that you uh, introduced that to the listening audience. You know, when you look at when you look at the culture of what's deemed to be so-called leadership and there seems to be a lot of contradiction and hypocrisy surrounding that when you see the amount of people who are now women specifically who are coming out and they're holding people accountable who are in positions of a power who have abused that power have abused their status you know are you seeing this as okay we're definitely shifting now that there's certain intolerances within our society that we are not able to stomach anymore and so yes a lot of a lot of trickling it down has happened a lot more it seems daily disclosures are coming forward a lot of people making statements offering apologies some people who are still not taking responsibility based on whether it's true not true but there's a lot going on right now where i think it's really shifting people's understanding of not only um, leadership and really questioning what is leadership and do I really get behind who is the so-called self-professed leader either because of the position that they they embody right now, they inhabit, uh, you know, call it who's ever sitting in office right now, or mm-hmm. just people in Hollywood, you know, so what what are you projecting is is going to maybe result from all of this, given that things have just been turned upside down on their head? I, interesting question. And and I actually kind of had a little talk on Facebook live about this, and especially when the whole um, kneeling, protesting the, the national anthem through the through the NFL. Yes. So, you know, like I said, I'm, I grew up in the south of, you know, I grew up in the south, what we call the south of, of the U.S., um, the southeastern region. And you have to remember that as a, as a country, um, equal rights, civil rights is still a very new concept. You know, we're only 50 years removed, mm-hmm. right, from, from constitutional legis- legislation taking place. So I grew up, you know, being taught certain um, chauvinistic principles and ideas, maybe, Mm-hmm. That a woman's place was, you know, was at home, that the man was the primary breadwinner. Mm-hmm. Um, whoever is the primary breadwinner kind of has the has the authority, the control. You know, they have the benefit of the doubt. Um, it, it, so my generation is really the first generation to go through integration is what I call it. Mm. Um, you, you know, my dad. Like I said, my dad's black. You, you know, my my dad never went. You know, he didn't have an integrated education. Um, I think my mom may have towards the end of her academic career in high school. Uh, I only have one aunt on my dad's side that went through high school in integration. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these concepts, you know, that we were taught. I'm I'm in my early forties. You know, we're 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 that kind of that first or second generation that's really had to embrace the social change, but still being taught old principles and or old um, codes, if you will. Yes. You know, we're, we're, what we hear is very different than what we see. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is now you see women being, you know, holding, you know, we just had a woman want, run for president. Um you know, growing up, the one thing they, you know, they always told us, oh, you can be anything you wanted to be. But as a minority male, we knew that was a lie because they knew, you know, we knew they'll never let us be president or, or that was the thinking. So it was always there was we could be everything but this. 
And mm-hmm. now that the world has changed a lot, um, the, 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 the constitutional rights are starting to blossom. Mm-hmm. You know, the seeds that were planted during the civil rights movements and, and prior, I think, are really starting to take root in the ground and really are starting to pop through the ground and starting to blossom. Um, I think there's a, a, a greater acceptance. Um, the, the majority, the minority is becoming the majority. Maybe that's another way to put it too. Yeah. Um, and, and so as such, there's always going to be change. And anytime there's change where somebody loses power or a sense of power or control, they're going to rebel. Mm-hmm. They're going to fight to maintain and control whatever it is that they control. So it's, it's almost foolish to think that there's not going to be some resistance, but at the same time, you, you, you have to be steadfast enough to not tolerate it. Um, and, and I think that's where my niche comes in with helping men deal with social expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom, you know, was very successful in her career. My wife is very successful in her career. Um, I know a, a particular hospital down here where all the, the C-suite, excuse me, are women. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I've, 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 I've seen, I've just seen, you know, what, what can be from a minority standpoint. And when I say minority, in this case, I'm not speaking race, but I'm speaking everybody who is view oppressed mm-hmm. um, to include women's rights. So, yeah, I do think there is a change that's coming. I think, I think it's going to be, um, it's, it's still going to, it's still going to be a hard push. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to lose power. Nobody wants to lose control. And anything that has an economical impact just intensifies. Mm-hmm. So the, the more women that come into power, the more minorities that come into power, um, the more resistance. I think the harder the resistance is going to be. So it's sort of like the race. You know, the, the, the hardest part of a marathon is that last mile. So I think right. we're coming that last mile. Well, let me ask you this, Ivan. So, you know, this isn't about gender bashing, but we, we certainly, when you look at all the the women specifically within the gender being female, who are the ones who are coming out and bringing things to light and offering, mm-hmm. you know, decade old, couple decade old disclosures or some more recently in some cases, mm-hmm. um, you know, what do you attribute to the fact that statistically it always seems to be the male population who are the oppressors or the abusers. And of course, I've worked in social services and I've worked with men who have been abused uh, financially, spiritually, physically, emotionally, sexually. Uh, So I'm very aware of the stats for both genders. But typically speaking, what do you attribute not only in your own experience, but in your coaching and the the clients that interface with you who are also offering their own testimonials and disclosures by taking accountability with what we're seeing unfold globally uh what what do you attribute to this being primarily perceivably happening uh where it's the male population who are responsible for this well i I, you know i read an interesting stat not too long ago that one in six men um have been sexually abused Mm -hmm. and that number is really probably higher than that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's a good place to start. So the mere fact that we won't speak up, right, about something uh, as sensitive of, of being sexually abused, because part of masculinity is tied into their sexual dominance, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's just, it is what it is. I hate to say the term, but it is what it is. Um, so as a result of that, Men are typically, men will be typically more prominent to exert their dominance over women just due to social um, perceptions and values that were taught growing up, that man code that I was speaking to earlier, and, and these false ideas. The thing that I found the most with men is, you know, men are taught two forms of socially acceptable expressions, and this is just my belief, and that's anger and lust. So when a man gets angry, particularly at a woman, he does either he's going to lash out physically or emotionally to beat her down, or he's going to lash out physically. So he's going to figure out a way to either physically harm that woman, or he's going to go somewhere and try to find uh, physical satisfaction or physical reassurance of his male role. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the polar opposite of that is women are taught all the other, the whole other spectrum of emotions. 
And so they're more apt to um, release those types of tensions within themselves. Whereas men are, you know, they hold it in. So there's no constructive way for them to deal and or process these other emotions. So they push them to these further extremes. So I think the thing that really raising the awareness of emotions and feelings and, and letting men know that it's okay to feel stress, it's okay to feel anxiety, um, there's, it's okay to be depressed, it's okay to be angry, it's okay to be happy, it's okay to, to be at peace, it's okay to experience joy, but what's not okay is remaining in that state of being or that state of mind. When, mm-hmm. when you remain in that state, then that's where all the other issues start to arise or, or bubble up. So the thing that I do is just really try to let that guy know that, hey, look, you know, it's, you know, you have a safe space here where there's, you're not going to be judged for your feelings. You're not going to be judged for your thoughts. Um, I know how perverted guys' thoughts can be. I know how perverted conversations can be. Mm -hmm. Um, But in this space with me, you're not going to be judged. But what we will do is we're going to work through it. Um, we're going to identify the things that you were taught. Are they applicable to you? Are they a part of your reality? Um, are they relevant to your reality? If not, then what can we use to remove that and, and create a new rule for you to live by? Um, and then, you know, as these things start to pop up, as you start to move forward in your life again, let's create tools uh, to raise your level of awareness. So, these things don't continue to happen. And at the end of it, it is holding each other accountable. And when you see people as people and not as dominant or inferior, then it it creates a better sense of harmony or synergy between each individual. And so I think Mm -hmm. accountability on that end amongst ourselves, amongst men, will be the greatest influence um, than, than any other protest out there. Well, let me ask you this, Ivan, because again, you know, I was in social services for 25 years and I know that increasingly, uh, you know, whether it be some story that catches attention and then it spawns a discussion and it further heightens people's awareness to paying attention to certain subject matters or whether it's, you know, stats being shared and revealed to show that things are still astronomically uh, unacceptable and the work still has yet to be done. But I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, having been in social services for over two decades and I've been out of the field now for quite some time, but I can recall, you know, we were doing the work. We were, we, there was a lot of public awareness. There was a lot of global awareness. There was a lot of um, work being done around, uh, you know, boys coming into shelters and and perhaps they had, unfortunately, uh, um, a mis- a skewed view of what a dad was supposed to be or what a man was supposed to be within the household and in the family construct. Um, so, you know, I know that the work has been done around the world for more than a couple of decades where it's really, really getting out there and really highlighting uh, what some of the, the the fundamental issues are and really digging deep at some of the underlying issues that need to be paid attention to and worked on and exposed. Um, sure. so, so knowing that, you know, yes, we're increasingly momentally, particularly as more things come to light, the attention and the spotlight is on it. But I mean, because it has been an ongoing discussion and awareness has been raised for quite some time now, what do you still attribute, though, with that level of awareness, the level of education, knowing that things are still continually and have been for quite some time ongoingly exposed, maybe more so now in succession, whereas before you'd hear the odd isolated incident and it was a big case and it would get, you know, the O.J. Simpson and and things like that. But, you know, why do you think some of the people whose names are coming to light now as being the perpetrators, having still existed within the culture of their being open dialogue, open exposure, marches, protests, bylaws being changed, policies and procedures, uh, you know, changes to law enforcement and how people report and how people intervene and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, why do you think even with that level of awareness and discussion, is, was this still continuing? Because for, for some of what's coming to light now and dating back to when things apparently allegedly happened, um mm-hmm. To me, it still doesn't make sense. I, I still don't understand why 
men felt it was okay to push their luck to get away thinking that there was never going to be even down the road some level of recourse or retribution or exposure for this behavior i, th- I think I, I think there's the first word that popped in my head was courage right? mm-hmm. so I, I think with a lot of the disclosures that's going on now some it took that one person to have a tremendous amount of courage to go against the grain you know, I, I'll use the, the quarterback from, from the 49ers, you know, Kaepernick. It took a tremendous amount of courage for him to say, okay, I'm going to protest this particular subject that is important to me, and I'm willing to risk it all, mm-hmm. and, and almost a martyr-type syndrome. Uh, and the same thing is taking place now with the Me Too, you know, movement. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's very – I think we need to be careful to watch – the term movement being attached to these things. So the Black Lives Matter movement, um, you know, the Me Too movement, because what it, in, to me, it, it implies it's, it's passing by, right? That it's not something that's going to stay, that we'll get past this little news cycle and it'll go back to being status quo. And, mm-hmm. and I think what really needs to happen to create that lasting change is people such as myself who are not scared to go up to another guy and say, look, man, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I'm not going, you know, I don't want to be associated with you if this is how you're going to be. Um, and, and, and again, I don't think there's enough. I think it's happening slowly. Um, and it kind of goes back to what I said earlier. You know, the minority is slowly starting to become the majority. As such, values and views are starting to change. It doesn't excuse or exonerate those who have been these perpetrators. It, it, it doesn't wash it out. It, you know, what happened, happened. You can't change it retro, but going forward, you, you know, I think that's where the focus needs to be. So a lot of the work that's been done in the past is starting, like I said, it's starting to, to take root. And it's really, you're starting to th- see the fruits of the labors, so mm-hmm. to speak. And, and I think it just has to be an ongoing discussion. There has to be people who are strong enough and courageous, courageous enough to put their foot down and hold other person accountable. Um, I've, I've got things in my past that I'm not proud of. You, we you all know. do. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I, you know it, it just is, you know, I got things I'm not proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't run from the things I've done either. And, and I can't try to minimize any pain or or, or hurt I've caused anybody else. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of the, what you see now is just, you know, this suppression being placed upon the, the, the women and saying, okay, if you say anything, you know, I have all this money, I have this power, um, you know, you're not going to win. Well, again, it just takes that one person to be courageous enough to say, I don't care if I lose. Right. Well, well, let me, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but let me ask you this, Ivan. So, you know, yes, yes, imposed consequences, whether it be public humiliation, the exposure, people being dropped from endorsements, you know, whether it be in the athletic world, whether it be in Hollywood, uh, Mm -hmm. networks dropping people and dissociating themselves, you know, so yes, it's good that there's going to be, um, some accountability taken in that regard. There's going to be consequences imposed. But knowing that there's a psyche still at work there, for these people who have been responsible or have yet to be proven as being guilty or innocent, whatever the case may be, but for these people, um, you know, and some of them are more notably uh, high profile, but in general, whether we're talking high profile people or we're talking about uh, somebody who's not necessarily known and recognized on the global scale, when mm-hmm. we know that there's, this, there's a certain psychology that uh, makes up this type of person to uh, get away with for X amount of years, having been able to treat people, mistreat people this way. So yes, you can take away the endorsements, you can take away, uh, you know, the contracts, you can take away a whole bunch of things, you can take away people's positions, you can take away Hollywood scripts and all that. But for these people who have only ever known how to subligate their energy as as messed up as it is, as dysfunctional as it is, 
what happens to these people in terms of treatment? Like, how, because it, the, the behavior needs to change at a deeper level. Uh, they have to be, they have to get to a point where working with people, they need to understand why this even was part of their personality, why this was even part of their relationship dynamic with people, why this was something they felt that they were entitled to get away with, uh, this, you know, abusing people and abusing their, their powers and positions of authority. So, you know, you can take away and strip people of all these things in their career. Uh, and you can publicly shame them and humiliate them. Um, but at the end of the day, there's still, there's some damaged goods going on. So how does, how does that get healed? How does that get resurrected? How does that even get acknowledged by the person who's responsible for having perpetrated these things? Because, you know, as a life coach, what, what would you be implementing? What would you be suggesting? What do you think is fundamentally needing to happen to truly change the trend and the pattern and not just to make it go better hidden under the radar, but to really change how people are behaving and the, the mindset um, where one would think it was okay in the first place? Right. And, and part of that, I had to draw the line there by saying, okay, at that depth, that's where the, the professions, the professionals come in, right? So the psychiatrists, the psychologists, um, mental health workers. I think in conjunction with life coaches, then there could be a um, a continuum of of treatment in that mm-hmm. sense. Um, by no means will I dare try to diagnose or or um, identify anybody with having any type of mental issues in that regard. What mm-hmm. I can do though, however, is, and, and this is one of the good things about the training that I received from IPEC, um, is, you know, we're, we're trained to administer, um, an assessment that really measures your, um, it's not, it's sort of your behavior as you, as you, as you show up every day. So it's not a personality test. It's not an interest assessment or a personality assessment. It's really more a behavioral type of assessment. Um, you know, how are you energetically showing up in these particular situations? So we're taught to, you know, we've learned a seven um, level process, if you will, for around energy leadership index. And I've taken the assessment myself and, and it helped me tremendously because what it did was it showed me during certain stressful situations my triggers you know how do i consistently respond do Mm -hmm. i respond angrily you know do i take on a victim mentality of you know i hate you and i hate me too you know i hate my life there's no hope or do i respond in such a way that you know i'm going to win and and i hate you or do i respond in such a way where i win and i hope you win also Mm -hmm. and 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 it's a matter of being able to help and, and I'll speak more towards the guys, right? It's really helping guys see that, okay, this is how you're showing up. This is how you're responding to these situations. You're taking on a victim mentality. So as a result, you, you know, you're trying to exert your dominance, maybe even physically over this other person. Whereas if you look, if you realize that you're taking on this victim mentality, what's the next step that you can move into? Well, instead of it being a victim, Maybe I'm just angry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, from moving them from an angry standpoint, well, let me move them to a place of responsibility where they hold themselves responsible for their own actions and they start taking accountability that way. Then moving them to the next level, say, okay, how can I help this person now? And mm-hmm. then moving them to the next phase and say, okay, how can we help each other? And if we can't help each other, then we're just not going to play the game at all. Mm-hmm. And then, and so it's that's the piece of coaching that I do is taking them and identifying, OK, moving them from victim to moving them to to at least start taking some type of action. Then moving them to um, taking responsibility for their actions and then start looking at a way to be more giving or, or you know, more concerned with the other person and mm-hmm. then try to figure out, you know, a total reconciliation. You know, how can we both win? in this situation and, and both help each other. So, yeah, by no means am, am I qualified to diagnose anybody, but I think in continuum, like I said, you know, you can create a healthy model um, mm-hmm. to 
to help in those situations. And I think it will make a lasting change. I know it will, for that matter. Beautiful. Well, Ivan, always being cognizant of time, we've got about seven and a half minutes here in which to wrap up. So I want to give people an opportunity to know how they can connect with you. How can they find out more about you? How can they seek you out for one-on-one or group-type situations, training sessions, mentoring? Where can they find you, Ivan? You can find me on the web at ifhcouplescoach.com. You can email me at I-V-A-N-H-U-N-T at ifh-solutions.com. You can call me, 305-354-6908. I'm pretty, you can find me on Facebook, uh, IFH um, Demand Coach, Ivan Demand Coach. You can find me on Instagram, Ivan Demand Coach. Um, Well, it's LinkedIn. Yes, you can Mm -hmm. find me on LinkedIn. So I'm, 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 I'm out there. Yes, you are. I think we connected through LinkedIn, did we not? Yes, and, and, yeah. and I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I've, I've listened to some of your other podcasts and you always ask, well, what does living fearlessly mean to you? Well, living fearlessly to me is reaching out and saying, hey, look, I'm, I'm just crazy enough to think that I can change the world. Beautiful. Beautiful. And you and you are because in order to truly uh, profoundly, authentically be able to do that, you recognize you needed to change from within. You did the work. You you took the responsibility. And, you know, so as difficult of a task that is, you know, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, getting out of your own way, it really is the way to move forward, especially if you're somebody who wants to take the message of what you've gone through and use it in such a healthy, constructive way that you know it's going to impact and ripple change with the collective. And clearly, you've honed and taken something really shitty in your life and you've made it work for you and I just want to say for for you choosing to evolve to become a better human being to be a true participant in society knowing that you want it to come from a place of healthiness and reciprocity uh, and, and just overall beneficial beneficial advantageous uh, reciprocity for humanity. I just want to say good on you, Ivan, because, you know, we've all done and said things that we're not proud of. uh, And rather than continuing along that path, you know, at some point you've got to say, okay, look, this isn't serving me and I'm not operating at my highest vibrational level. And so I'm just Mm -hmm. emitting all kinds of crappy energy out there into the world. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if I say I want this world to change either for my children or my grandchildren or for just people in general, I got to do something. I got to step into this. It's going to be painful. It's going to be ugly, but I got to, got to do this. So the fact that you've done and for what you've uh, honed for yourself and and the way in which that you're enriching other people's lives through your message, I just want to say thank you very much for stepping up and being a leader. And and thank you for that. There's one thing I always tell people, you know, when you can silence, silence, then you know you're in a good place. Absolutely. And so, you, you know, before we, before I exit here and and thank you and and, uh, thank the listeners and the sponsors and whatnot. You know, what is the one thing, if you could impart one tool from your toolbox, one suggestion, one nugget, one anything to the listening audience for them to take away and really resonate on, what would that be for them? Um, I'd have to say friends forgive, lovers don't. And what I mean by that is even you have to become your own best friend. Mm-hmm. And I think, and, and you have to, you know, friends love unconditionally and friends forgive unconditionally. And so you, by becoming your own best friend, you start to love yourself unconditionally and you start forgiving yourself unconditionally. But in the midst of that, friends hold each other accountable too. And friends work on making each other better. And so I think by, you know, just kind of remember, remembering, you know, friends forgive, lovers don't. So if you become your own best friend, you'll start holding your own self accountable. Um, you'll forgive yourself. You'll forgive others. And mm-hmm. by default, you'll start loving yourself. And the more you love yourself, the more you will love others. So to use the energetic term, you'll start putting out that love energy. Yes. Be reciprocated. And it's that butterfly effect. And and I think the more the more you just start loving yourself and loving your life, mm-hmm. then it's going to resonate to those around you and it will clear out 
those that don't agree that are negative. Mm -hmm. It'll get them out of your way and it will only attract more of those that think like you and that love themselves as much as you love you. And, and that's how the world changes one person at a time. Absolutely. Beautiful. Well put. Thank you so much for that. And, uh, you know, to embrace self-love, you really have to relinquish the shame. A lot of people are living in shame. Yes. Which, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I, I just want to say <clears throat> once again to you, Ivan, thank you so very much for the gift of your time. Uh, maybe we can do this again some point down the road. That's completely up to you. I would, you know, love to bring your message back and, and invite the listeners to know all the other additional yummy things that are happening in your journey. And by your journey, it's a shared journey with the other people that you're uh, assisting and supporting and being engaged and connected with. So let's stay in touch. And uh, I want to wish you a phenomenal weekend, uh, continued success and joy and healthiness along your journey, Ivan, and those that you're bringing along with you. To the listening audience, I want to say thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule, particularly on the holiday weekend here. And I hope it's been a safe and happy one for all of you. But I want to take the time to say thank you once again for tuning in to my show for your loyal listenership. Uh, we're now hovering at around 400,000 Living Fearlessly podcast subscribers could not do it without you very important to get the message out because we know from the feedback and the testimonials that the content that is shared the dialogue uh you know the tools that are offered the insights the the backstory of each of my guests it's really helped shift people and so for the people who also take the time to share that information with us in the way that this show is changing your life changing your lives, changing your relationships, healing your relationships, healing the relationship with yourself. I can't thank you enough for that. Um, so, and also, again, I want to thank my sponsor, Halt and Honda, for believing and living fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. I want to thank my family and friends over at C-Suite Radio Network, where, again, you can find uh, the podcast link of the live show. It takes a while to calibrate, can sometimes take a couple of days, given I go live on a Friday, uh, but it's always going to be up there eventually. And I just want to thank, of course, my friends and family with the Contact Talk Radio Network where this all started. So wishing love and gratitude to all of you, uplifting you to fear less and to live more. Be back here again next Friday, 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 o'clock Eastern, living fearlessly with yet another phenomenal guest. Wishing you all my best. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. Visit her at lisamcdonaldauthor.com This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.